do that slide. Next, rest of the year. All right. Well, for the next rest of the year, no uh, rhyme or reason to it. It'll happen as it happens. But we're going to talk about who we are, what our core values are, um, who we are as a, as a people, and what God has called us to do. And um, this week in my devotions, and this isn't in the notes, so you're going to get this for free. Uh, so I'll go a little longer, yeah. This week, my devotions, um, one of the passages of scripture uh, that I went to is John 15, the, the great, what's called the abiding passage, um, where Jesus says, he's the vine, we're the branches. If the branch doesn't bear fruit, it's cut off, it's cast in the fire. And he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that word for uh, words abide is not logos, which means written word, it's rhema, which means spoken word. Um, and so we have the spoken word of Jesus written in red in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, if you have a red letter edition. He speaks all the way through, even in the book of Revelation. But we also have Jesus speaking to us by the Holy Spirit through prophetic words. Uh, you remember in 1 Timothy 4, uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, Do not neglect the gifts given to you by the prophecies you've received when the elders laid hands on you. And so, as followers of Jesus, particularly of those who believe that God still speaks today, yes, through his word, but he speaks direction into our lives, Many of us set the course of our life, or should set the course of our life, based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and what the Lord says to us, not just through Scripture, but what the Lord says to us through the prophetic word. So when it says if His word abides in us, it's not only talking about what we read in the Bible, but it's talking about words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic words that we have received in our journey that God loves us so much that he takes the time to direct us in that way to keep us walking at our destiny. Now, I've said all that to say that we are where we are and we are who we are because of what the Word of God says about prayer, but because also of specific things God has spoken about what he desires and what he envisions for the city of Azusa through prayer. Um, <clears throat> the passage in Isaiah 46, which is the first uh, passage in our notes. This is Isaiah prophesying to Israel, but it applies to us as well. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. So God has, in his great wisdom, determined that he's going to bring about the things that he's spoken through weak vessels called humans. And that means he's chosen us. And as a part of the house of prayer, and as part of those called the city of Azusa, those things that God has purposed and intended in his heart to do, <clears throat> he doesn't just accomplish in a vacuum. He doesn't just accomplish by waving his hand. He's chosen you and I to bring it about uh, in this house and in this city. 
We've shared this before, but I've just put it in the notes today to refresh um, what our mission statement is, that we are an authentic prayer community with an end times perspective where people encounter the living God and are equipped to love and to look like Jesus. And our mission statement defines our objectives. In other words, this is, this is pressing toward the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the goal that we have. We do that um, in our vision. And our vision is to walk a lonely road, to be a faithful people in a lonely house in a city that the Lord builds. And that we'll know it by prayer, and by prayer we'll make it happen. And so one of the things we have to continue to remind ourselves that God has called us not only to pray things in, but to have the revelation of what he's doing by prayer as well. So we need prayer to know what God is doing, and we need prayer to pray it in. And that's who God's called us to be. So our vision statement describes the desired future for this house. And it simply is to pray in what God has purposed in his heart to do in this community. And so then we also have our core values, which from now to the end of the year, um, possibly every week, there will be some teaching that comes out of these 10 core values. And our core values are prayer, duh. Uh, which includes healing, uh, gifts, signs and wonders, uh, scripture, uh, particularly understanding the day and the hour in which we live. Um, one of the things that I have to remind myself, it is very easy for me to get sucked into the carnality of politics. Um, and I have to remind myself weekly that I'm to have an eternal mindset that my thoughts are not to be temporal, my thoughts are not to be on earth, my thoughts are to be on heaven, and how this all plays into God's eternal scheme. So when we say that scripture with an end times perspective, it is to understand what God is doing in this day and hour, not for this day and hour, but for the ultimate fulfillment of the return of the king. Worship, uh, children, community, Azusa, fellowship, house churches, discipleship and mentoring, outreach, Israel, giving, and freedom. And our core values are how we believe the Lord directs us to reach the objectives of our mission and our vision. So we, part of what we do when we follow God's mission and vision for this house by core values is that we bring a bridge between the present and the future. What we do now affects what's going to happen tomorrow and our view, because it's an eternal mindset, an eternal view, then our, our perspective is to bridge how God has chosen us to bridge to prepare for his return, the return of his son. So Proverbs 29, 18, a scripture many people know. Um, and most people, when they quote this verse, only quote the first half. They don't quote the second half. And you need both halves to really understand. Many people will say where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or the people perish. But then Solomon says, but happy is he who keeps the law. So there is a context there that vision comes out of keeping the law or the word of God. And so vision, listen closely to this, vision gives pain a purpose. I want to say that again. Vision gives pain a purpose. Uh, those without vision spend their lives 
taking the path of least resistance to avoid discomfort. We do it, I mean, we're, we're people. We do it in our work life, we do it in our home life, and we do it in our spiritual life. And uh, the level of sacrifice that a vision requires is going to determine the size of the people who follow it. In other words, we, we have found, history shows, that the greatest revivals have come out of the smallest prayer groups. It hasn't been a prayer meeting of 5,000 people coming together every week for a year and then revival breaks out. It's been a prayer meeting of two or three or five, you know, two, two little sisters, you know, in, in, in Wales for the Welsh revival praying, believing for revival day in and day out. It's because the sacrifice that is required to fulfill vision is hard. It, it has difficulty. You know, an example would be boot camp. And I've never been in boot camps. I'm only going by, you know, what I've seen in the movies and what I know. I do have a brother-in-law who was a drill sergeant. So I do know how he, I have been at Camp Pendleton when he had his guys and, I, and I've seen how he treats them. Um, but when, when young men and women go into boot camp, it's six months of mental and physical torture. And there's no other way to say it. Um, but in the process of the difficulty, there is a changed mindset. I can't tell you how many times I've heard fathers say about their sons, he needs the military so he can learn discipline in his life. And so they go into boot camp. And so boot camp is preparing the soldier for a destiny. Now, for some, the destiny is death. For others, the destiny is a medal of valor. But it prepares them for destiny. And their vision of the future gives their present physical discomfort meaning and purpose. So they're going through boot camp because they know there's a future to what they're doing. We go through the boot camp of life, particularly as followers of Christ. We go through the process of spiritual boot camp, through the pain, the suffering, the disappointment, the discomfort, because we see in our spirit, because again, back to the word. You know, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will and I will do it so the Father may be glorified in the Son. We, we go through all that. We endure all of that because of the future. And so what happens is there's a lot of people who go through life not understanding the necessity of discomfort and trials. Um, you know, Paul talks about perseverance leads to tribulation, leads to, he goes down this whole road of all, and the end is good. And so we spend our days walking a crooked path. In other words, it's, it's, it's difficult. And we believe every obstacle in the road is a problem to be avoided. And yet many times God is the one who puts the obstacle there because there's something we have to learn. You know, again, I've, I've said this many times. Scripture tells us the crown is for the overcomer. Well, if there's no obstacle, there's nothing to overcome. 
But the second part of this proverb says, but happy is he who keeps the law. So the law wasn't just the disciplines. Uh, it's also the restraint, the boundaries, the disciplines that we use and develop around our lives. So it is the law that directs us through obstacles instead of around them. It is the word of the Lord. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is the word of the Lord hidden in our heart that gives us the direction and the tools we need to go through the obstacle instead of trying to go around it. And so these obstacles are baptism of fire. Um, as I look back, you know, in when my wife and I got married, being a pastor was not on my to-do list. It wasn't something that I was saying, yes, that's what I want to do. Um, along the way, God changed that. Along the way, God spoke. And in the process of becoming that and in the process of being one, there has been many fires we've had to walk through. Fires which I would never have walked through as an engineer. You know, designing fountains is fun. You know, pastoring is fun most of the time, but there are always those times. Um, and so God uses these to forge our character so that you and I can attain uh, the life of greatness God has called us to. And just let me say this. God is the one who measures greatness, not us. You know, it is... It is Jesus when he talks about giving, when he talks about the, the rich men who walk down in all their pomp and circumstance, who give a large offering for everyone to see, and the widow who gives all of the pennies she has, and she makes it understood the greatness is in the widow. The greatness is not in the pomp and circumstance. And so we need to know it is God who has set the standard for greatness. And because God's ways are higher than our ways, because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, God's measurement of greatness is not our measurement of greatness. And so we need to follow after him with the vision that he's given us. So what is vision? Vision is what we see, but it's also how we see it. Um, you know, we all look at life through a particular lens. Um, we define life by the lens we look through. It's like if you were, they all, and there's a scratch on your glasses. When you look at people, they all look like they have the scratch. But the truth of the matter is they don't. The reason it looks like they have the scratch is because of the lens we're looking through, the way we look at them. And so the, the, the problem many times is not only in life as a fellowship together, but in our personal lives, we've never sat down and said, God, what is your vision for my life? God, what have you called me to do? The decisions and choices that, that husband and wife and families make together, God, what is the path we're to take? And, and I have to be honest, if we're all honest, we're looking for God to give us the easy answers. We're all looking for the lottery ticket. You know, that we can pay a dollar and get 30 million, and then we think our problems are all solved. And that's not how God works. God wants us to have $30 million worth of debt and give us a dollar to try and figure out how to fix it. That's, that's the way God's work. His ways are not our ways. His, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So 
Jesus is the one who said that our eyes are the window to our heart. In the Sermon on the Mount that David's already taken us to, and now we're in chapter 6, this is what Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of sight. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Paul also prayed, Ephesians 1, we pray this often, but Paul prayed this for the church at Ephesus. He said he prayed that the eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they would know the hope of his calling. And so in other words, we perceive with our eyes, but we see with our heart. So we look at things as followers of Christ. We see them with our eyes, but how we interpret them, how we translate them to apply the walk of our life depends on where our heart is. If our heart is hardened towards God, what we see with our eyes, our heart is going to have us make different decisions than if our heart was tender toward what God is doing. And when our heart is set on going our own way, when we see what God has set before us and we see obstacle and pain and difficulty there, we will do all that we can to avoid that. Um, I go back to Jonah. Jonah says, lick it. Ain't no way I'm going to Nineveh. Those people have a reputation I don't want to be a part of, so I have a solution. I'm going to go the opposite direction. God says, go ahead. I'm going to get you to Nineveh one way or the other. And so he thought by, by um, avoiding the obstacle of going straight into Nineveh that things would be easier. And the truth of the matter is things got a little more difficult. There's nothing more difficult than walking up off the beach covered in whale puke. And then you say, repent, you know, and uh, kind of wonder what people are thinking when they look at you. So our minds receive an image, but our eyes interpret the image. If our heart becomes bitter, jealous, hurt, or some way infected, the lens of our heart is distorted. And what we perceive is happening is what is really going on from, and it could be two completely different things because of our perspective. Jesus also said, told us how we could have a vision of freedom. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, we only walk in freedom when we embrace truth. And since Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus is telling us if we're going to walk in truth, we must walk in Jesus. And as we walk in Jesus, we walk in freedom. And so, you know, the word truth here is not referring to the Bible in the original language. Um, it's, it's talking about reality. We will know how to walk in real life, in real problems and difficulties, and knowing how to walk through it with Jesus will bring us freedom. Trying to walk through it in our own strength, our own understanding, our own way, is only going to wind us up in the belly of a whale. And so we have to hold on to that. So the way we view life, and you know, we can feel and it can look real and make perfect sense, but it's not real at all. It's kind of like when you go to a movie. Sometimes you get so wrapped up in the movie, and when you walk out of the theater, you're still living it as if it's real. I'll, have a, I'll, I'll give you a confession when I was 14 years old. 
14 years old, my parents took me to the movies to see Haley Mills in The Parent Trap. Now, you all don't know it by Haley Mills. You know it by what's-her-face. Uh, yeah, Lindsay Lohan. I went home that night in love with Haley Mills. I was 14, and I was certain there had to be a way I could find to meet her. And so I couldn't separate a movie from reality. And oftentimes, that's how we live our life. We allow ourselves to get sucked into the emotion. And what we think is real isn't real. And we end up chasing down a road that leads to nowhere except the belly of a whale. So the truth is, what we see is what we believe to be true. And so having a revelation of what is real is going to deliver us from a life of torment that virtual reality causes. Um, to me, it's such a ploy of the enemy to make people want to live their lives in virtual reality. You know, to, to pretend we're somebody else living somebody, somewhere else doing something else than who we are. So the way we make sure that we stay in reality, the way we make sure we know the truth, to make sure we walk in freedom, is to make sure that we have core values. Those are the things that are going to direct us to fulfill that vision or that mission in our life. And again, I'm talking about the house of prayer, but each one of us should be looking at our own lives. If you don't have a mission and purpose in your life, you don't know who God has called you to be, and, and let me make it clear, we do out of being, we don't be out of doing. We don't do, and that's our identity. We be who we are in Christ, and then we do according to who call, Christ has called us to be. And so we need to establish core values. And so the core values are the lens that we need to look through to give our heart the right understanding. Because Proverbs also says, for as a man or as a person thinks in their heart, that's who and how they are. So is he. So whatever you're looking at, however you're viewing it, according to Jesus, if your eye is good, your heart is good. If your eye is bad, your heart is bad. So what we look at and how we think determines who we are. But the thinking doesn't really come from our brain. The thinking comes from our heart. The and so those God is giving us to live and to walk out our destiny. And so those things we perceive to be true determine the way we respond to the world around us. So Jesus said, if the light in your eye is darkness, then how dark is that darkness? So if the truth you perceive to be true is really a lie, then how deep is that lie? How, how deep is the deception in your life? And, and that also determines the way we respond to God. You can respond to God out of a false heart because you've believed a lie about who God wants you to be or what God has said or what God is going to do. I know a lot of people, and I go back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a problem with Jesus. He had the problem when he got arrested, when the obstacle came. All of a sudden, Herodias convinced Herod to arrest John the Baptist and will eventually convince him to chop off his head. But while John is in jail, 
John all of a sudden is offended with Jesus because things weren't turning out the way he thought. There's an obstacle now and he doesn't get it because John, even though he declared, behold the son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, even though he heard God speak from heaven, say, this is my beloved son, although he saw the dove come down and land on Jesus, he sends his disciples after all of that, John's disciples to Jesus says, okay, John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Or, or should we look for somebody else? Those are John's exact words. Jesus gets what John's problem is. And so Jesus' answer is not, go tell John I have a secret army waiting and we're about ready to take our swords out and overthrow Rome. Jesus says, go tell John what you see, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are being raised, the gospel is being preached to the poor, and then he gives the great transition. And blessed is he who's not offended by me. See, Jesus perceived John had become offended because of the obstacles, because John's vision for his life was based upon the lens that he saw thinking Jesus was going to be a political Messiah as opposed to a spiritual Messiah. So even though John was the preparer of the way, even John was the voice in the wilderness, even though he is, is compared to Elijah, John at what sometime put on the wrong glasses, looked through the wrong lens at Jesus, and when he got arrested, was offended because of the obstacle. So we have core values to make sure we keep our glasses on, to make sure we keep our lens clean, to make sure we understand where God is sending us, and to know those things that we're going to do along the way to accomplish God's purposes. Why? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's all about glorifying the Father. What we do as a house of prayer, what we do as individuals, it's about one thing and one thing alone, and that is bringing glory to the Father. So core values also help define the part of community that attracts or draws us in. So the children of Israel experienced this when they crossed over. Remember, they come up to the Jordan. It's now Joshua leading them in because Moses has died upon the mountain. Joshua's leading them in. God has parted the waters of the Jordan. They've crossed over. And then um, later in Joshua, he begins to divide the land among the tribe, among the children of Israel. And it says that he, he, gave, he divided them among the, the, the purposes of each tribe. So in other words, um, if one tribe were farmers, they had a vision for growing vegetables. I feel that was God called them to do. And another, like Caleb, were mountain people and loved to dwell in the mountains. Joshua is not going to take farmers and give them land that's all mountains. Joshua gave them land according to their purpose. So the farmers got farmland. The, the, the shepherds got pastures. You know, the, the, the mountain ones that like to, you know, cut the stone to build the buildings, they got the mountains. And so it's the same principle with us. God gives us what best facilitates the fulfillment of the vision. That's what he entrusts with us. And we're to develop that to see the vision come to pass, whether it's personally 
or whether it's us as a, as a people. So because of this, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's easy to see why churches have splits. Because sometimes pastor in their zeal to build a church, and I was one of those pastors. I was one of the guys that bought all the books and, and went to all the seminars at Fuller Seminary with um, Peter Wagner on the Institute of Church Growth. What do you do? You know, we were running between two and 300. What do you do to get to the next stage? How do you draw the people in? How do you build the church? And if your vision, you know, is to, to build a church, what happens is trying to get people in, you will attract people who have visions for different things that the church is not going to be able to sustain. In other words, we have 10 core values. We could have 20 core values, but we, we, that's not what God has said. God's given us 10 core values. If somebody came in and said, I think we should be doing this and really push for it, but it's not a part of who we are. Not that it's a bad thing. It's a God thing, and somebody should do it, but not us. Because if we do that, we get distracted from fulfilling the vision and the mission God has given us to do. Just as if these were farmers and, and, and Joshua said, now go farm up in the mountains. So we need to understand the core values are what are going to keep us focused on the mission and the vision that God has given us. Because what happens is if you get too many people wanting to do two different things, vision becomes division. And division is always painful. Been there, done that. So I, I kind of put it into four different things that help us to, to make sure we fulfill the core values. It's foresight, insight, oversight, and his sight. So foresight is kind of like looking through a telescope. Um, it allows us to, to look ahead to a distant future to see our future. The telescope helps you see something far away and bring it into perspective so you can understand it. So it's, it's the element of the vision that helps life make sense and gives us motivation to carry on to do something we're not there to do yet. Then we have insight, and this is like going from the telescope to the microscope. And when we look through innovation of our heart, it helps us understand the way things are happening and moving and what the motivation of our heart will be. And then we move to oversight, and that takes the distant future with all of the stuff that's up close and helps us to put into the context of how they work together. And so it's like looking over Azusa through a drone. My... Uh, <clears throat> A man in my son's church just bought a really expensive drone with a high-resolution camera on it. The guy moved it, and he had to go work a different job for a year. So it got delivered after he was gone, and he said, Ricky, play with it for a year. See what you can do with it. And so we've been out in the daytime and the nighttime with this drone with this high-resolution camera that loads onto his iPhone or onto his iPad. It is amazing the things and how far this thing can go six miles still K-connected, and can go almost 1,500 feet high. I mean, it's just incredible. You get a whole different perspective 
when you're up in the drone with the oversight looking down. And that's what oversight does for us when we take the, the foresight and the insight and we bring it together. It helps us understand where we are with respect to everything else around us. If we did it over the city, it would help us understand where we are with respect to where everything else is located in the city. The sons of Ishakar are a great example of those who understood what oversight was like. It says the sons of Ishakar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. These men understood the day and the hour Israel was in and therefore was able to give instruction and direction on what they were to do. That's basically what God's called us to do, to have to discern the times we're in and to live our lives and make our decisions according to what God has told us to do in those times. And Jesus has given us great instruction. In fact, Jesus' instruction in Matthew 24, you remember in, in Acts chapter 20 when Paul calls the leaders of Ephesus down to him when he's on his way to Jerusalem, you know, he tells them, look, guys, I want you to know there's going to come people along who try, try and cause division, and, and, and you need to, to stand against that. You need to make sure you don't let false doctrine come in. Then you go to Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus writes his letter to the church, and he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you guys are doing an amazing job. You know, you're holding firm to doctrine, but there's a problem. You forgot about love. And because you forgot about love, you really aren't being who I called you to be. You've left your first love. He says, return to where you first encountered me. And he said, by the way, I hate the teachings of the guys you hate. So just know, keep doing it. So when you go to Matthew 24, when the disciples said, Lord, how will we know the end of the age? When he's given the instruction of what to look for, he says again that the love of many will grow cold. See, the issue for us right now is to make sure we have love in the lens that God has given us to do the things God has called us to do. Because if our motivation is not love, we don't win. The only thing the Bible tells us that wins every time is love. So as we look at these core values, as we look at our mission, as we look at our vision, we need to understand, we need to hold fast to the, to the, the, the truth that because God is love, we can only do what God has called us to do through love, which brings us to his sight. And this assures us that the vision we have is from God. It's not something we made up in our head. It's not some dream that we're trying to, you know, bring about. It's kind of like Noah and the ark. Um, Noah built the ark according to the plans he received from God. He didn't, you know, have ideas of, this would make it even more cool. You know, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should, you know, put a room in for each family. You know, he could have had a lot of ideas, but God gave him the vision, God gave him the instruction, and Noah's responsibility was to build the ark exactly as God told him to build it because God knew, the great engineer knew, that the only way that boat would float is if it was built the way he said because of all the weight and all the disbursement of weight that would be inside of that vessel. If Noah had at any time thought this would be a great shortcut or this would be really cool to change the shape here or there, in all probability, the boat would have sunk. 
And so, and, and we don't know exactly how long. We know from the time God told Noah to the time the rain came is 100 years. We don't know if it took him 100 years to build the boat. Many believe it took 50 to 70. We don't know. But the bottom line is that man had to get up every day with his three boys, and he had to go and build this boat exactly as God told him to. And as we read about Noah in Hebrews, we know that Noah also did some other things. It tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So we also know that in the process, you know, Jesus says the people didn't even pay attention to him building it, that it wasn't until the rain came and the doors were closed that they said, oh, wait, 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 we want in, we want in. But in the midst of that time, he wasn't just building a boat. He was preaching to the people. He was saying, I'm building a boat because God is tired of your sin and he's going to destroy everyone who has rejected him. And they rejected everything Noah said. And Noah could have got discouraged any time. He could have said, God, this is too hard. He could have said, There's, I mean, you understand, he couldn't just go to the lumber yard and order up a bunch of lumber. He had to cut the trees down. He had, to, he had to shape them and, 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 and take a hand plane and plane them and make sure they all fit together perfectly so when they put the tar and pitch in there, the sucker didn't leak. To work on something for five years. We complain if we have to wait five months for God to do something, if we have to work on something for five years. So we need to understand that, you know, visions like that are just vain imaginations will never, ever come to completion. And the way we make sure a vision comes to completion is by walking out core values. Many people have lofty ideas about the things they want to accomplish for God, and because of that, they have no sense of how to see their dreams become reality, and they live their lives dreaming and never fulfilling. See, we have to decide... Do we want to fulfill what God has called us to do, or we just want to dream about what God has called us to do? That's why I go back. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish, and I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we move from the unseen world into the natural realm. In other words, God speaks to us through his kingdom, and then we live out his instruction for vision in the natural realm. And so to accomplish this, we need to write it down to make sure we can record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that he who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. I, I always love that verse. He says, though it tarries, it will come. Wait for it, because it's not going to delay. So he's saying, it's going to take a long time, but it's not going to be too late. You know, and so... This pulls the dream in our spirit that no one sees into the visible world so that others can see it and experience and partake in it. So tools that help visualize our mission are core values. And so core values are like an old story. I remember my pastor growing up in Barstow used to tell. It's the story of three bricklayers. And one guy, they're working on a wall, and one guy walks up to the first bricklayer and says, what are you doing? And he says, what does it look like I'm doing? He says, I'm laying bricks. He walks up to the second guy and says, what are you doing? He says, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm building a wall. Walks up to the third guy and he says, what are you doing? 
He says, I'm building the cathedral to God. So all three guys were bricklayers. All three guys working on the same job. If the third guy had the perspectives of the second and the first guy, there would be no vision. Because he had a vision for what he was doing, you know, he was the hardest worker. He was the guy going, when this is done, this is going to glorify God. And so vision causes people to love their work because they see the big picture, because we understand who we are, because we understand where we're going. And so core values help complete the picture. So I, th there's a, an old saying that says, if you want to build a great ship, you can find a talented craftsman or you can find a person who loves the sea. And it's kind of like, just because you're a good musician doesn't mean you're a good worship leader. The criteria for a pastor or leaders to go look for worship leaders, yeah, musicality plays a role in it. But the first thing you got to look for is the heart. Are they worship leaders? Are they able to take people into the presence of the Lord? Or are they going to be up there so people will see them? Um, Emily led worship today. Jillian, they are great worship leaders. They love Jesus. They know our mission. They know our vision. They know our core values. They're talented musicians. And they lead us accordingly because they're worshipers. So we're not going to go to APU and look for the absolute most talented musician and say, come be our worship leader if they're not a worship leader. Just like you're not, you can hire a craftsman to build a ship, but if they don't love the ocean, they're not going to take into account everything they know about the ocean. And so our core values, this is what Paul says when he writes to the church of Philippi. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So our core values are the fundamental beliefs of who we are. Um, we've been teaching it for years, but we're just going to take the next few months and be very succinct, uh, identifying them and what Scripture says about them. They help us understand the difference uh, between good things to be done and the right things to be done. Uh, there, there are a lot of good things we can do. A whole lot of good things. But the right things are the things that help us fulfill our mission and our vision. If you know, That's why, you know, Scripture talks about the body of Christ. Each one of us is a different member of the body. And he says if everybody was a hand, what good is that going to be? If our hands were full of thumbs, what good would that be? But on the other hand, if our hands were full of fingers and no thumbs, how would we hold on to anything? So we need every part of the body in order for the body to function properly, but the hand can never be a foot. So since these are our core values, there may be other good things that can be done in the city, but this is what God has called us to do in order to fulfill his vision, his purpose, his call for us. And so um, when we see the specified parts of the mission, it enables us to operate how God's called us to operate in the community. And the final stage of seeing our mission accomplished is establishing our steps, which is what core values do. Proverbs says this, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
Psalm, David says this, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I love that verse. That if we're on the path God's called us to go and we stumble because he's holding his hand, we're not going to fall and smash our nose into the ground because he's holding our hand. These steps, I could rewrite these verse. The, the mind of a man's core values plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The, the core values of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hands. So when our vision is honestly birthed by God, he will be delighted and he will direct our steps. And again, just because there's an obstacle in our way doesn't mean that's not the Lord taking us there. The most important thing to remember about our steps or our core value is that they have to be found in the mission or they end up conflicting against each other. So as a community, over the next few months, we're going to retrace our steps. We're going to... Make sure that what we're doing is what is going to accomplish what God's called us to do. And if along the way, um, you know, we're either going to redefine or redirect our steps. If we find stuff that is, wait a minute, is that who we really are? But I think it is. We've prayed about this a lot, and, and we've looked at it a lot. But we're going to do this together. Because remember, here's, here's the final thought. Destiny is at stake. The future is at stake based upon how we walk out today. So we have to know our vision, we have to know our vision, we have to know our core values in order to accomplish what God has set before us to do. And we must always understand, God never said it would be easy. He said it would always be fruitful. And here's how it goes. Faithful, 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 faithful. Fruitful, faithful, 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 fruitful. So it takes a lot of obstacles and steps along the way to get to fruitfulness. But faithfulness will always produce fruitfulness. If we're faithful to the steps God has set before us, and if we don't shrink back and try and find an easier way. And that's all I have to say about that. So let's pray, and then I have one announcement. I don't know if you have any, Michael. Um, that glazed look. <laughs> Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you, God, that uh, you never send us out into a vacuum. You never just drop us and say, here, figure it out. You're always there leading the way. You may be quiet sometimes but you're there. We thank you, Lord, that you have set your, you've, you've written upon our hearts eternity. And in that eternal story, you've given us a mission and a vision, and you've given us steps along the way to bring this to pass. We ask God that we would have full revelation and understanding of who you've called us to be and what the fruit of that faithfulness is going to be. We ask God that we'll never lose sight 
that if we abide in you and your words abide in us, we ask what we will and you will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's our heart, God. To be faithful, 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 faithful so that we may see fruitfulness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.